You are listening to the PRC Students Podcast. This sermon was recorded during one of our former student nights. You can also find and watch this sermon on our YouTube channel. We pray that the Lord speaks to you throughout this message. Welcome everyone again to our student nine this evening. Um, as Julian said, it's our last evening on this session and for this month, we will meet two weeks from now for a um, for student night and we're gonna have some Christmas songs and a Christmas message there since it's kind of the last youth night of the year and what a year it has been. Uh, the holidays are upon us, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, all those are fine and good, but obviously the most important holiday um, is something that's coming up in, 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 in uh, just under a week, and I have a picture of it actually, if we, could, if we could put that up, of this holiday. Black Friday, okay, there it is. Um, yes, <laughs> I wouldn't call it a holiday as much as it is a, a mania of the people, um, it probably won't look like this this year with all the social distancing restrictions in place. But um, if you familiarize yourself with this picture, you've probably been in something similar where everyone is striving for um, something that's like $20 cheaper than it usually is, right? I mean, you see those hundreds of people in this picture fighting over TVs, other electronics. Um, and I have a story that actually happened just this, this week that relates to Black Friday. So we wanted to get some, some TVs here in the lobby, okay? If you notice, there's one out there, one in the fellowship hall. And we wanted to show slides on them, not just for the students, but for the church as well. And I found these really good deals. They're from Walmart. And um, on the ad, it said, only at this time... On this website, um, can you get these TVs? So, like, you have to be at exactly 7 p.m. You have to be on the website, have everything ready, and then check them out. Now, I knew that these things go fast, so I got my account ready. I created an account. I put my card information on there, my shipping address, everything, so I wouldn't have to do that once I get on there. And from about, like, 6.50 until 7 o'clock, I'm just in front of the computer, right? Like, I'm, I'm ready to go I don't care about my life, about any distractions. The kids are screaming. They want my attention. I don't care, right? I'm focused, okay? These are TVs we're talking about. So I'm on there, and I do the whole thing in, like, record time, like 20 seconds, right, with the loading and everything. And it shows it's in my car. I get all the way to the checkout process, and then it says, out of stock. And my heart just, like, sinks. I'm like, oh, let me try again. And I sit there and I refresh. I hit F5 and go back and I feel like a clown thinking it's going to change, right? I'm like, come on, get back in there. It doesn't change. And I'll be honest, this kind of, you know, ruined me for a while. I became so invested in this material thing, in this TV, that I let it get me down. I let it steal my joy, my contentness. And at like 7.20, I just walked back into the living room and I went to my wife. I'm like, I guess we got to buy more expensive TVs. Why am I going to tell, you know, the pastor, the church, I said I'd be able to get it for this price. 
My wife, in her infinite wisdom, looked up. It's like, oh, it looks like they're restocking at 8 o'clock. Just go on, try it again. And thanks to her, I got them, right? But I realized something about myself, and I think all of us do, on this journey of finding our satisfaction in Christ alone, sometimes we're distracted by finding our satisfaction in things and finding our, our uh, contentment in things. And that's a very important word for tonight, um, content. Content means to be satisfied. Content means being satisfied with where you are, with what you have, Contentment gives us space to breathe because we don't feel like we need to constantly get more things and constantly be somewhere else. We're okay with where we are. And we can um, uh, breathe and have space around us. And again, if we're honest, we're all still on this path of contentment. We're all trying to learn how to be satisfied in Jesus alone and really every day putting the things in our lives aside, the possessions um, the, the situations that we are in. And I don't even have to ask you because I, I already know the answer, but have you ever been in a situation where you wish you could have something that you currently don't have? I think all of us could say, yeah. Um, or have you been in a situation where you wish that you were in a different situation? Maybe you wanted to be um, in a different class. Maybe you wanted to be at a different job or... Um, maybe you wanted a different family at one point. Hello, right? Sometimes you feel like that. You're just not satisfied with where you are and you're not content with where you are. And we're all struggling in that together. And with that, I turn to our word for this evening. Go ahead, open up your scriptures. Um, if you have them uh, physically or on your phones, whatever, pull them out. Philippians chapter four with verse 10 and we will read through verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10, going through verse 13. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have reviewed your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's our word for tonight. I know how to be brought low or to be humbled and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you remember, we had a series a few months ago uh, called Joyful, where we looked at the whole book of Philippians, and we said that Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi, while he was in prison. And this, is, this whole book is kind of like a thank you letter because they brought him things that he needed while he was in prison. You see, back then, they didn't feed you or give you clothes in prison like they do now where they give you three square meals a day and clothes and a shower. You had to have other people bring the food to you. And if you didn't have anyone to care for you, you were going to starve. You had to manage. And so the church realized that Paul was in prison and they brought him these gifts. And um, he starts off even from the first chapter, I rejoice. I say again, rejoice in the Lord. Be satisfied in the Lord. And then all the way at the end, right, uh, he, he kind of doesn't talk about the gift directly until the end. Um, and he says, thank you for your gift. I really thank you. 
It's, it, it means a lot to our friendship. But don't think that I needed your gift. And if you're reading that, you're, you might be a little offended. Like, Paul, are you serious? Like, you're starving in prison. We sent Epaphrodites, this guy in here, we sent him with gifts to you. And you're like, I don't really need it. And Paul, you know, adds on a qualifier to that. Or he continues, he's like, now, don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand me. Thank you, but I've learned to be content with whatever I have. He's saying, in other words, even if I were to starve here, I would be okay with that. Because my happiness doesn't depend on my happenings. My joy is not dependent on my circumstance. And he says something very interesting in here. He says, I've learned the secret. He says here, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul had to learn the secret of being content. We're not born with this, which is why I said at the beginning that we're all on this journey together to find out how to be satisfied in Christ alone every single day and to be content with what we have. Paul learned it through experience. There are numerous examples of him um, being uh, um, in hunger and in thirst. In, in 2 Corinthians with chapter 11, um, he says that he had many sleepless nights. Um, I have at home, I have a teething toddler and a sick three-year-old. I had a very sleepless night last night. I am on Starbucks Nitro right now, okay? I, so... I'm not comparing myself to his situation, but he's saying he has, he's had many of those, many of those, and he's learned to be okay with them. But he had to go through that. He had to learn, even in those sleepless nights, even in those hungers, even in those thirsty times, to be content, to be satisfied with where he is and with what he has. He's also known what it means to have plenty. Remember, Paul came from a privileged background. He was of uh, the, the highest tribe. He was educated. He had access to resources. Um, he had uh, privileged information. I mean, he, he had an educated background. He came from a good place. So he knows how to live in abundance, but he also knows how to live with little. And my challenge for us in this evening is can we learn this attitude of contentment or of satisfaction, not in things, but in Christ? And I like to look at a few things that try to distract our attention or try to distract our attitude from being completely content and completely satisfied in Christ alone. And the most obvious of this is our possessions, the things that we have. Um... We have to remember that in, in, a, in, in our Christian mindset, everything that we have is not our own. In John 3, 27, John the Baptist says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. And as believers in Jesus, we have to remember, literally everything that we have is not our own or doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And the things that we have are not permanent. We tend to place an emphasis on things as if they will be around for a long time. 
Even things that you want to pass down to your kids or your kids' kids or that you've received from your parents and you think, wow, this thing's going to be around forever. It's not. It's going to pass away. And Scripture so many times says, don't place your, your contentment, don't put your satisfaction in these things that go away. Um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, with verse 6, Paul again says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. And in, in our mindset today, we're like, well, obviously, you don't have to be a Christian to realize that. But put yourself back in the context of the time. You see, there was this uh, a custom and a tradition in this Greco-Roman environment that when someone died, they would actually place two coins on their eyes. Why? Well, the idea was you place those coins on there so they could take them into the afterlife and pay the boatman, I don't know, whatever his name is, pay the boat person for passage into the afterlife. And if you didn't have those coins, you wouldn't go into the afterlife. We all know of the Egyptians and the pharaohs that would pack their tombs and their sarcophagus and everything with possessions, with gold, with food even. Why? Because the idea was that when they journey into the afterlife, they needed things with them to pay off people, to eat, uh, to buy things. This was the philosophy. That was the idea they had back then. And Paul's saying, we're not going to take any of this with us. Don't let other people deceive you. And in this context, he was, he was talking about you know, false teachers as well. Don't let them lie to you that you need to hold on to these things, that you need to somehow invest into these things as if they will last. Because Scripture says that only what you do for God will last. Everything else will be wasted away. Um, there's something interesting that I found out about a number of billionaires that have taken the pledge. And it's called the Giving Pledge. And it's, um, it's something started by people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. And what they said is, we pledge that we will give away more than half of our wealth either in our lifetime or by the time that we die. And, um, you know, that's a nice thought. And I'm not here to talk about the altruism of that or, you know, well, it's easy for them to say because they have billions of dollars, right? So they're not going to be around. Um, but here's the thing. God doesn't challenge us to give just a little bit more than half of our possessions before we die. He challenges us to give everything that we have to him. That's the pledge. That's the commitment. That's the cost that we have to following Christ. Remember, we opened up the series with the rich young ruler. And he was a man who had great wealth. And his problem was he had followed all the commandments. And he said, teacher, what else must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell everything you have. And we said, that doesn't mean we all have to sell everything we have. Because this person's problem was money and wealth. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, your heart and your desire and your satisfaction is the things. Go sell those and then come follow me. And what happens? The rich young man goes away sad because he had great wealth. God is asking us not to just give away a little bit of what we have. God is asking us to leave everything at his disposal. It's not ours. It's not permanent. It has a purpose. Everything that God gives us is for a purpose. Although things may be uh, temporary and not ours, and we have the um, 
uh, tendency to think, well, it doesn't matter anyway, right? They're just things. Well, they do matter because God gave them to you and he gave them to you for a reason. We're just managers of his money. Or in other words, stewards. That's what scripture says many times. We are stewards of what he gives us. God gives us resources. He gives us time. He gives us relationships. And yes, he gives us possessions, money, things. And he wants to see, will you be faithful in what I've given to you and use it for me or use it for your own purposes? God tests us many times in the things that he gives us. We're tempted many times to say, Lord, I want more. Lord, if only I had uh, a million dollars, I give, I give half of it to your kingdom. I give half of it to B3 and we put that building up. Amen. Anyone that has that? No. Okay. You know, God, if I just had the money, I would, I would give. And God says, you have the money. You have the time. You have the resources I've given to you. What are you doing with those? Because let me tell you, the more money you have, all it's going to do is expose what's already in there. The people that win the lottery, for example, that get millions and millions of dollars, if they were bad with money before, they're going to be bad with that money as well. It just amplifies and magnifies what's all the, the character that's already inside of you. And so when we look at our possessions and we see that, yes, they're temporary, they're not their own, but they have a purpose, we have to be careful. So start with the small things. From your first job, tithe to God. Give that money back to God. Scripture says, give God the first fruits of all that you have and he will bless you. And in Proverbs it says, your storehouses will be full. From my first job, I remember it was a, geez, it was a, like a student assistant job and had a paycheck of, I think it was like $60 or something for like a month. I worked like five hours a week, barely, right? Um, but I, I, I challenge myself to say, you know, even though it's just that amount of money, let me give it to God because it's his. And I think that's so important for us to start from, a, from an early age, from a young age. It doesn't matter the amount where you think, okay, I'll only tithe once I have this amount. My friend, you'll have that amount and more and your heart's still gonna be in the same place because God wants to test us with the small things first and then he will give us more. Um, Simply put, as, as Job said, we've come naked into this world and we're going to leave naked from here, right? We're taking nothing with us, but it's important to do uh, something with what we have. Our possessions don't define us. Our possessions don't define us. In 1 John chapter 2, with 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Pride and possessions, if you identify yourself with things more than you do with, with your relationships, then you place more meaning in, in the money than you do in relationships, and especially in our relationship with God. And so often, we'll look at people that dress a certain way or that have a certain logo on them, and we'll categorize them into how we think they are. And we define them based on how they are. More so, we want to have those brands on this too. When I was in high school, the biggest thing was Abercrombie. I don't know if it still is. I'm not going to pretend. I'm hip enough to know. I really don't. Um, Abercrombie and Hollister, okay? And if you didn't have that moose or that seagull on your shirt, um, you just, you weren't, you know, you just weren't cool. You 
were hoping that you could find something at the thrift store that was cheap, but no way was your mom going to pay $65 for like this t-shirt or polo, right? That was, it probably cost them like $3 to make. But oftentimes we use those things to define us or the phones that we have, or the cars that we drive. And we put ourselves into these categories. But scripture says, don't put your pride in those things. Don't define yourself by those things. So look, I'm not saying that we don't go shopping on Black Friday. If you have something that you need and you can save a few bucks, it's probably gonna, you know, gonna be online anyway. Um, I'm just saying, don't, don't desire after... Don't desire after it so strongly that it becomes a lust. Don't desire after it so strongly that if you don't get it, you know, your joy is gone, your content is gone because you put so much hope into this. Paul goes on and he talks about um, all the circumstances and all the situations that he was in. Um, Paul was often in very bad situations, shipwrecked alone in the wilderness, in danger from robbers. Um, and in those situations, he had to learn how to be content. Uh, I remember years ago, I was studying abroad in, in England, and I was coming back from a trip with a friend, and we, we had a train to catch at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and we were trying to find this train. And not familiar with this train station, we went on like every platform, trying to see where it was, and we finally saw one. We're like, yes, we found a train. The problem was it was already moving. And we just kind of looked at it. And I turned to my friend and I said, is that the last train for the evening? Yep. Is that, is that our train? Yep. Great. So we were stuck in the dead of winter outside in a small station until the next train came uh, six hours later. And um, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I just had this peace in my heart and this, you know, I was so joyful, you know. I wasn't, okay. We're on this journey together, okay. We're learning how to be content with what we have and where we are. Um, but I often look back at that moment and I'm like, you know, that whole trip that we had was amazing, right. We went and saw museums and everything and ate a lot of good food. And I don't even remember like that poor part of the trip. But I place so much emphasis on it all, on, you know, um, at the time. Because we tend to remember the bad things rather than the good things, right? When you mess up on the test, you'll remember that one question you got wrong versus the 99 that you got right, and you'll beat yourself up for it, not realizing that, hey, you still got an A on the test, right? Or a C, whatever makes you happy, okay? Um, Point is, Paul was in these situations. He had to learn how to be content. He had to learn how to be satisfied. Many of us think that, you know, we're not happy right now. If only I was in a different place in my life, I'd be much happier. If, I said earlier, if only my parents weren't so weird or if they didn't have an accent or if I was in a different family, I'd be just, it'd be so much easier. Let me tell you, there's, there's people out there that are saying, if only I had parents to begin with, if only I had a sibling to begin with, I'd be a little bit more content, a little more satisfied. Some of us say, well, you know, I'm looking maybe in the, uh, I don't know, 
some of you here, okay, I'm looking to get married, okay, or, or find the one when the time comes. And you're just miserable right now, though. Let me tell you, nobody wants to marry a Grinch, right? Nobody wants to marry someone that's just so sad all the time. If you're not happy right now, what makes you think you're going to be happy five years from now or six years from now? And not a happiness based on your surroundings, but a true joy that comes from finding satisfaction in Jesus. And I can tell you from experience, right? Growing up, I was like, uh, you know, when I, when I get, uh, you know, out of college, I'll, I'll have it all figured out and I'll be happy. I wasn't. I had to find a job. When I find a job, you know, they don't have my own money, my own place. Things will just make more sense. It wasn't. I was like, you know, when I get married, that's, that's the goal, right? To get married, ashezat, fine, I'll get my own house and, you know, it'll be uh, peaceful and everything. And it wasn't, right? <laughs> because it's hard. Because if you don't develop the attitude now, uh, the attitude of gratitude is, is, you know, it's an easy way to remember it. What makes you think you're going to have it years from now? Now when it's quote unquote easier or, um, you know, you don't have responsibilities as much. What makes you think that 10 years from now, five years from now, three years from now, you're going to find it out just all of a sudden. Start now with where you are. Start now with the relationships that you have, the friends that you have. Place value on them. Love them. Learn how to be generous. Learn how to share your possessions. If your friend asks you for a dollar, give him 10, right? And don't ever ask for it back. I know it's hard, but they'll never give it back, okay? It's gone. Just in the name of Jesus, and it, it's gone, okay? Learn to be generous now. Learn to share your time with others. That's more important than money. Learn how to listen to others. If your friends have problems, develop the attitude, develop that contentment with, you know what? I'm happy with the family that I have right now, with the friends that I have right now, and I want to take that and, 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 and with the help of the Lord, grow in that attitude even more. Because it's not just going to, you're not going to find it under a rock after you get married, right? Or, you know, when you have kids. Now, please don't get me wrong. I know people are watching this. I'm very happy in my married life, okay? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't want anyone to most understand. All I'm saying is it's not, it's not like a switch. It's not a magic switch or something, okay? So please don't misunderstand me. It's, it's, it's a process. No, my wife is probably watching. I love you, honey. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. Prison. And he's happy. He's okay with where he is. He's writing this with shackles on his feet. He's writing this with rats scurrying around. And he's okay with where he is. Not just that he's thanking other for the gifts, but at the same time saying, I'm okay with what I have. I don't have anything to give you, and I really don't expect anything back. I just want your prayers, and I want you to rejoice in the Lord. We can't find our contentment in possessions. We can't find it in our situations or our circumstances. And we cannot find it in comparing ourselves to others. We can't find contentment and satisfaction and joy in comparing ourselves to people that we know or more often than not, people that we don't know. Um, it, it causes jealousy, inferiority, envy, robs us of our joy, denies our uniqueness, it brings about self-pity, resentment, anxiety, pressure, and we fall into this trap. And 
it's not necessarily bad to look to others for like inspiration, right? You see someone that uh, is um, just has a strong relationship with God and they're putting the priorities straight. And you're like, you know what? That, that motivates me, right? With a kind of a holy jealousy, right? Like, hey, I, I want to pursue that. I want to have that relationship with God or maybe in that, in that career path. Um, but the problem is in these past few years, in the past decade plus, uh, social media has come around and it's no longer like you see successful people every once in a while. It's like a tsunami. It's like a wave where every other picture is someone that's on vacation or, or wealthy or flexing or posting up where they are um, and their shoes. And you're like, man, they look so happy. They look so organized. Um, let me show you an example of how this is utterly false. I have here a picture of, of, of me that I post in social media. Okay, this is me. This was about, geez, four years ago. And um, this is at the top of Brass Town Bald Mountain, the highest mountain in Georgia. And if you were to look at this picture on social media, your first impressions might be, okay, wow. He hikes all the time. He made it. Look at that view. Look how happy he is. Look at that stick in his hand, right? Um, he's got a camel back on. Oh, he probably goes all the, oh my gosh. Let me show you the, the caption I put on this picture. Let me um, go next way. My legs are on fire. I've made a huge mistake. And that hashtag worth it? It was not worth it, okay? It, I was lied to. I was told it would be a simple hike. That was after three hours going one way. And I don't hike like ever. I get it, right? But the problem is when I do something, I go like full force, right? Like I'll go back to the gym after two years and pretend I've been there like every single day for six months, right? And then the next day just, <gasps> after this, I had to take a bath with Epsom salt like for like two nights in a row. It was bad, okay? I almost died. Not really, but I felt like I was dying. Um, but if all you were to see were that picture, one might think, or whoever else, right? It doesn't have to be me. Whoever else. Man, this guy's got it together. He's, he's smiling on top of a mountain. What more could you want from in the world? Um, an Uber. That's, that's what I wanted at that moment. Because at the top of the mountain, you can actually drive up there. I didn't know that. But you could drive up there. And, and the girls that were with us were like, oh, good. All the guys are going to go back and get the car and pick us up. And I was like, that's a great idea. I was looking at the guys. I'm like, and these guys start running down the hill, literally running back down the mountain. Um, I got lost. Long story. It got really, really dark. But this is sadly what we see all the time. And it's at every stage of our lives. If you're in high school, college, you see people posting a picture of themselves studying, right? Like, you know, deep in thought. They got all their books out. Do you know how staged that is, right? How many pictures they've had to take to get that angle? Uh, you see, you know, maybe not at your age, but in our age, you see moms and dads with their, you know, playing with their, like, nine kids. The house is perfectly clean and everything, and they got all together you're like, wow, how do they do it? Yeah, outside the frame, all the stuff is pushing the corner, right? Um, because we spend all this time trying to present a perfect picture of ourselves to the world. 
and the world sees it, or we see it many times. And from that snapshot, that point in time, we apply that to ourselves. And while we're in our downtime, we'll look through it. And in our downtime is when we're most vulnerable and most self-reflective. And we'll say, oh, man, they're, they're working out, and it's 2 p.m., and I'm in my pajamas, you know? <sighs> but again, you don't know what they have going on in their life. And we compare ourselves to others, and we fall into that trap and it amplifies our desire to compare ourselves to others. Realize that you'll know the story of what's going on in that person's life. More so, realize that God has a unique purpose in your life. He has a plan for your life, and he has a way for you to find that out. And that's through finding your satisfaction, your contentment in him and in him alone. And not falling into the trap, the vicious cycle of just picture after picture after picture after picture or constantly refreshing to see if you get more likes or more comments on your pictures, on your post, whatever. Realize that we will never, ever find contentment in those kinds of things. And Paul finishes off this thought with verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think this is one of the most misused verses in the Bible because I've seen it on T-shirts for sporting events. I've seen it on, um, you know, people that are, are running marathons or are trying to succeed in life. And I think when, when people do that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to judge anyone that genuinely, you know, is a believer in everything, but in my mind, when I've seen that, I'm like, the emphasis is on the I. Like, I can do all things. I can win this race. I can achieve this. I can be successful. I can do all things through Christ. The emphasis is not on I. The emphasis is on him. Because what's saying is, even if I lose this race, it doesn't matter. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I've learned with plenty, I've learned with little. You have to read the context of it. I can do all things. Even if, I, even if I'm broke my whole life, if God doesn't want to bless me in that area for whatever reason, I'll be okay with that. If, if God wants to put me in a different area of my life that right now I just don't see, I'll be okay with that. But here's a secret. This is a secret we have to learn. That it's not through our strength that we become content and satisfied. It's through the strength of Christ. When Paul was writing this, the idea at the time was that you could find self-fulfillment through yourself, satisfaction through yourself. If you guys ever heard that term, stoic, or being stoic, um, that's a philosophy, which means that I am fully self-sufficient, I can provide everything that I need. And Paul actually uses that root word, but he puts it through the lens of the gospel. And he says, it's not my self that's sufficient. It's not from within. It's from outside of me. It's from Christ who strengthens me. And that's the secret. It's not trying to be content based on your own strength and on your own abilities and just forcing yourself to just be... Um, uh, complacent with where you are and to just give up. No. 
It's first seeking your satisfaction in Jesus and being okay with everything else. I'd like for us to stand. And this message is, is, is personal to me as well because I was thinking about my life. What, what am I not content with? And something that started probably a few months ago is I started watching a lot of HGTV, right? The home garden television, right? Um, and they have all those fixer-upper homes and um, uh, beach resort homes. And I was like, hey, I think that'd be a pretty cool project to do in our home. I think we could get away with that. But then I was like, I don't think we have enough room in our house to do that. I think we need a bigger house. And you start searching for bigger homes. You start looking at uh, different areas, and you're like, well, you know, the budget that we currently have won't meet all those needs, so we got to go a little bit bigger. And you start looking and you're looking, and then I talk about it to my wife so much that at one point she stops me. She's like, honey, you're talking as if you're not happy with her home. And that's when it kind of struck me. She was right. Because I remember when we first came to America, uh, we were living in an apartment that was so shabby. I remember this very vividly. Our weekly grocery list was, you know, milk, cereal, and then a can of Raid for the bugs. Because, I mean, they were just everywhere. And I remember my dad telling me growing up, he said that his prayer to the Lord was, Lord, don't give me so much that I forget your name but don't give me so little so that I could starve. Just give me my daily bread. And I remember the times when my family had to come together and figure out how we're going to provide in that month. But I also remember that God never left us hungry. I remember that God always put a roof over our heads. I remember that God always put clothes on my back. I remember that God always provided. And if I really stop to think about it, I've never been in want or in need of pretty much anything. I've, I've had, you know, uh, uh, wants and desires and wish lists, but in terms of needs, God's provided those. And we sang this song earlier. Um, I find my joy in you. I'm, I'm, I'm here in this holy moment. I'm caught up in it. Lord, I'm sorry for the times I thought I needed something else. I just want to be with you. I just want to be in your presence. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy where you are. Learn to be content and satisfied in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Remember, Jesus owes us nothing. We sang that earlier. And that was powerful for me in that moment. Because that's really the hardest message. I was trying to figure out how am I going to end it? Where am I going to say, Jesus owes you absolutely nothing. He's already given everything for you and everything for us. He owes us absolutely nothing. Everything that he did was on the cross. Everything that we truly need was done on the cross. For us to have peace with God for us to have a relationship with God. Everything else is not even secondary. It's not like first is here and second is here. No, God is here first. Everything else is way down low. It's not even on the chart. Jesus has done absolutely everything for you and for me. 
the only thing that we should crave after, the only thing that we should desire after is more of Jesus. The psalmist says, as a deer searches for water, so my soul longs after you. I don't really need the iPad anyway. <laughs> it's already cracked. It's all right. It's fine. Thanks. I want us to remain with that thought. I, Jesus owes us nothing. He owes me and you nothing. But he deserves all the praise, all the glory. And all of our satisfaction should be in him. And this evening, find your satisfaction, find your contentment in Christ alone. Things, people, comparing yourself with others will never bring you contentment. Thinking you're going to be successful and have lots of money or be married to the perfect person or kids or whatever, and that you'll be happy then, it's not guaranteed. God first. Satisfaction in God. Everything else comes after. Jesus owes us nothing. Let's worship together.